Hey guys, Lisa here, and as always, I'll have my wonderful co-host Justine along with me. Welcome back to Stereotherapy. Our guest today is photographer and survivor Bailey Elizabeth Rogers. Bailey truly represents the power of music and how it truly can save lives. I know this is a long one, but I urge you to listen to Bailey's incredible story. Whether you need to take a break, pause, come back to it, I really wanted to keep this conversation exactly how it was and hear Bailey's entire story because it is so important. Justine and I walked away with so much admiration and respect and just so much love from this conversation with Bailey. And I hope you can see a little bit of yourself and feel less alone in this as well. Remember to share, like, and subscribe to us on any platform you're listening to us. It helps us reach those to feel less alone in their own mental health journey as well. You can do that on any platform you're listening to this right now. You can also do that at our website at www.stereotherapypod.com. You'll have all the links to do that as well. And I don't want to take any more time in this. I want to get right to it because this conversation is so important and I am so proud and excited to share this one. Let's not take any more time and let's get to our conversation with Bailey Elizabeth Rogers. Bailey, it is so good to have you on. We so appreciate you taking time on a Sunday to talk to us and you have such an inspiring story. I know as soon as you reached out to wanting to be on this, I was like, yes, I need her on here. And you just represent everything this podcast is about, and I really can't wait for people to hear this. Um, for those unfamiliar with you, do you want to just go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody? Sure. Um, my name is Bailey, and I, well, full name is Bailey Elizabeth Rogers. I'm a photographer, but I'm also a uh, survivor, I would say. Um, I've struggled with depression, anxiety, and anorexia since I was about 14 and I'm 36 now. So a really long time. Um, music is, you know, my greatest love in life. And so, and it, it's had a huge impact on my mental health journey. So when I heard about your guys podcast, I was like, this is like, so perfect. I love what you guys are doing. And I was just really excited to, you know, see that someone was getting this message of how crucial music is in, in you know, your mental health out there. So no, absolutely. Like that, to me, I know Justine is a lot like that too. And it's crazy yeah. ever since we started this podcast idea, how many people have come up to me or on Instagram and been like, you know, that's really great. You're open about it and wanting to do that because I'm 37. So for me, it's like, it's been a long journey mm -hmm. too. And yeah. like if only I had people that felt the same and I didn't feel so alone, like that would be so amazing to have. And again, I'm just so excited to talk to you. <laughs> so, Thank um, you. I'm, I'm excited to, to talk to you guys too. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, as you just said too, and music has impacted your life so much. What do you think, if you can remember it, was the first memory of falling in love with music? I remember it perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. Um, I was like four years old. And I saw the Tom Petty video for Don't Come Around Here No More yeah. on um, <laughs> MTV. And I was completely in cap like captivated. And I just fell in love with Tom Petty. 
and all of his music. He was he was like my first celebrity crush at like four years old. Oh, I had yeah. Tom I Petty. That. I had Tom Petty poster on my wall. I had a calendar, and I had this VHS tape that was like a little mini. It had like behind the scenes footage of like recordings. And it had a bunch of his music videos on it, and um, I would just play it in the VCR over and over again, and list and watch it, and watch the music videos, and listen to his music, and. You know, that was really what sparked my love for music. And then um, I'd say there was one song in particular that still around that same age when I was very young, um, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship was the song that really like woke me up to channeling emotion through music. And I was probably like five, but mm-hmm. I, I'm a very empathetic person. So even that young, I was very affected by emotions around me. And that song really just hit me and kind of showed me that you can, you know, f- that music can speak of your feelings or music can make you feel or, you know, just channeling your emotions and using that as using music as an outlet for that. No, I love that. I love Tom Petty too. And just you talking yeah. about that video, I'm like, I remember that. And I too had a crush on Tom Petty. Like there was something <laughs> about that. And even now, like, I remember when he passed, I was so upset because Ugh. he was my bucket yeah. list to see. I've never been able to see. I, I never will now, but yeah. he was on that bucket list. And I remember some people when he was, he was going to tour and I didn't go because it was expensive. I, yeah. I'm kicking myself to this day that I did not get to see Tom Petty. I was lucky. I went to that tour that was his last tour. And that was the first time I saw him. And it was a huge bucket list thing for me. And I went to that tour. And I like cried during part of it. It was just so incredible. And I too was very sad when he passed. It was tragic. My parents went and saw him like a couple shows before he passed even. Oh, wow. And they were going to get tickets for me to go too, but it was in Indiana. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to travel, even though I want to see him really bad. And I was kind (laughs) of upset that they didn't go over here in Missouri so I could like more easily attend it. And I was so upset because he was also on my bucket list. And then he passed. And I was like, no, my case is gone. (laughs) Yeah. But yes, I love him too so much. And like, even on, I'm a huge King of the Hill fan. Okay. And Mm -hmm. he's on there and they're rebooting it. And I'm just like, (laughs) he's not going to be on there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's just the best. So I love him. <laughs> oh, I could talk. That could be a separate podcast too. It, because it could. he's <laughs> yeah, he's one of those things. Like even on TikTok when they said name ten albums, you know, for the rest of your life or or artist uh-huh. or something. Or an artist you'd wanna, you know, or you never got to see him. Like Tom Petty was that picture was on there and a lot of people are like, Well, obviously you won't. I'm like, but but it remains the same. Like he's made an mm-hmm. impact on me as well. And yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That'll have to be a separate thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I have a Won't Back Down is one of my like perk me up songs. So oh, yeah. you know, it's that's that's one of those songs that I turn to when I'm like, I gotta find some strength you know, listen to those words by Tom Petty and he, it, it can reach me. So for oh, any yeah, of you, definitely. any of you out there struggling, if you haven't heard yeah. that song, I highly suggest it as a good pick you up song. I'll have to put that on our playlist. Uh, 
for next oh, yeah. week. I'll have to put that on. Now I, I, I do. I have to write that down. I'm going to write it down. But. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. So I wanted to ask, uh, being a photographer and loving photography, how has uh, that also been a therapeutic outlet for you? So let me preface this by saying, I've always known I wanted to be a like for a very long time I knew I wanted to be a photographer and and I was taking pictures I did my first like photography project in art class in the eighth grade and I loved it and I just I've always been one of those people who wanted a visual memory of everything and like wanted a tangible visual memory like I still print out photos like if they're ones that I really want to keep and like hang on my wall, they're not just on my cell phone. You know, I like that like tangible visual memory of, of everything around me. And, um, you know, photography has been really huge for me, but I did struggle because of my mental health with my photography. Um, I was supposed to go to the school, the museum of fine arts in Boston. Um, and I would have, my academics would have been at Tufts and then my art would have school would have been at there. And, I was supposed to go there for college, but I took a gap year and between my senior year and like during that gap year, my eating disorder got way worse and I wound up not being able to go to college. And I kind of lost my passion for photography during that year. Also, I shot a roll of film that I thought was really bad. And I let my anxiety and depression convince me that I wasn't any good. And so I didn't touch my camera for probably a good four or five years after four, four or five years after that, except, you know, every once in a while. And so there was a time when photography was a real hard thing for me and a real struggle because of my mental health. But um, when I picked it back up and that's a different story that we'll make, we will, we'll get into that when we mm -hmm. talk about how uh, music impacted has impacted me because music is the reason I picked up my camera again. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when now for me, photography is, it's very therapeutic. You know, I really like going out by myself and just walking around, you know, whether it's when I'm traveling, like if I travel, I'll just go take a whole day by myself and I'll just walk around by myself with my camera and take photos. And I do a lot of street photography and I do a lot of music photography too, but I do a lot of street photography, documentary photography. And um, it's just, it's so peaceful for me to just walk by myself and just let myself see beautiful things. And for, and, and a lot of things that I find beauty in are things that are, you know, not necessarily things that everyone else would notice. I kind of have this philosophy of like, there's beauty in the broken in my photography. And I always want to find, the beauty and everything around me. And I want to show other people that beauty that they can't see themselves or show them those moments that they might not have captured in their view of the world. And so just, it's taught me to see, you know, life in a more positive light um, and to see the beauty in everything around us and, and appreciate everything around us. And it's also when I picked my camera back up and started doing photography again, it became a major just 
it gave me purpose. Like I felt like I had a reason to do things again. And it started building confidence in me that took years and years. But now I at least I don't have confidence in some areas of my self, you know, mental health is a continuing journey. But in terms of like, you know, having confidence in my art and feeling like there's something in my life that I'm that's, you know, a purpose and something that makes me feel a worth like worth something um photography's really been big about that and so um i'm very glad that i didn't abandon it altogether um and that i wound yeah. up wound up going back to it so and it's also it's brought some really amazing people into my life i'm part of some different photography okay. groups here in st louis and there are some people i've met who've just been great friends and and great relationships have been built there and so that's another way too, you know, I, I have really bad social anxiety and it's helped joining these photography groups has been, you know, that's an in with people. It's something you have in common and you don't have to do small talk when you're meeting someone at mm -hmm. first, you can yeah. have something you can talk about that you all have in common. And so that really helped me um, in terms of my social anxiety, uh, doing these photography groups and, and having a passion that I could go out and do things with a, with a group of people and talk to them and have something in common and then build on that as opposed to having to, you know, talk to random people and find something that you might have in common. I agree with that so much, although very yeah. different, but even doing this podcast, like I had put it off for a long time because my own social anxiety and mm -hmm. I found just like even doing these right before you hit record or before I let someone in the room, I'm like, Okay. You know, uh, it, it just, I have to take a deep breath. Like it's okay. And once you're in and, and you're around those people that feel the same way about music mm -hmm. and life, it's like, it's like you said, creating that small talk is tough, but like yeah. doing this, there's people, whether they've messaged me or come on here where I'm like, Oh, I guess I'm okay. Like that's, I'm winning against my anxiety, even by mm -hmm. doing this. And it's like, it's such an important thing to have, whether it is photography or music or art, whatever it is, because every day, and like you said, it's an ongoing, like every mm -hmm. day, it's a journey of, you know, whether you get up or you brush your teeth or you do something you enjoy, that's a win. Yeah. You know, that's Absol a win. Absolutely. You know, I, that's what you said about, you know, whether you get up, you brush your teeth, that kind of thing. That's, that's something that I've turn to living like second by second hour by hour day by day because some days it's just the darkness is so dark or you're feeling so down like if I am if I'm feeling that way I've kind of found a good thing to do was like make tell myself like one thing that I need to get done that day mm -hmm. and even if it's something as little as like taking the laundry downstairs, if I have one thing that I've done on a really bad day, then it makes me feel a tiny bit better because I know that I accomplished something. Um, I'm one of these people who makes to-do lists and I actually started it because of my anxiety for that mm -hmm. very reason, because I, the act of crossing things off on the to-do list makes me feel less of a failure than I've felt in the past from my anxiety and depression. And I put everything on my to-do list, the littlest things, because every little cross off is a win. Like you said, every small thing is a win. Mm -hmm. 
So it, it's interesting you say that because I just started doing that within the past couple months because I saw somewhere too, like if you create a list, it's on my phone and it is, whether it is take out the trash, um, wash your hair, um, do, do like I'll have, and they're the littlest things, go to the grocery store, uh, yep. call your mom, you know, do whatever that is. Mm-hmm. That maybe in those moments, I'll, I'm a big isolator where sometimes, or I'll just sit on the couch and then hours later, I'm like, but oh my God, my table's a mess or this, like mm-hmm. even looking right now, I'm like, there's tons of things I should have done today, but I'm like, all right, I crossed off these two things. Um, and a lot of times I felt the same way. If I didn't, before I went to bed, I was like, all right, I'm going to do X, Y, Z the next day. This is what I'm going to do. And then at the end of the day, if I didn't do it, I felt those same things where I failed. Yeah. Did I? Yeah. No, but in my mind, I, yeah. I did. Yeah. And, and I think, for, for anyone struggling, just it's something important to remember every little thing is an accomplishment and you, you're not a failure. And, and even if your day consists of laying on the couch all day, because it's a really terrible day, you know, if you got out of bed or if you fed your pet in the morning or something like that, that's, that's, you did something that day, you accomplished something, you know, it could be a mundane task, but you know, even mundane tasks, depression and anxiety make feel like a mountain to climb. So. Oh yeah, definitely. I relate to that a lot. I have a lot of days where I, the only thing I can do is like lay on the couch and with my pets or like play games while I'm laying down and nap a lot of the Mm -hmm. time. And I'll feel horrible because I'll be like, oh my gosh, my house is never clean. I can't do this. I can't do that. And my boyfriend's pretty good about reminding me, if you had to nap, that's something you had to do. Your body's telling you mm-hmm. you needed to rest. And I'm like, okay, you're right. But having that just guilt of like not getting everything done is such a struggle with a lot of us. I know for sure. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's kind of goes into the next thing too. I mean, when when you were sending me a couple of links and just to do some research on you, there was one thing that stood out to me and it was that that list of things you wanted to do one summer and you were ready to maybe do these things. And obviously uh, your mental health, your eating disorder really took those away from you. And you, I think there was maybe one, if I'm wrong, I'm so sorry that you got to do before that and it was such, such a powerful thing to look at and even made me take a look in my life. Like, how has this happened for me? Um, how was that for you to kind of look back on that, at the things that were taken from you? And have you been since been able to do any of those things that you weren't able to do? You know, it's been really eye-opening. Um, that was... That was written. It was the beginning of the summer of 2006. Um, and there's it's it's in a post on for those of you out there, it's in a post on my personal Instagram account, which it's not private or anything. So we can put that in there. I, I talk a lot about awesome. mental health on there. Um, so I'll make sure that you guys have it to put in the yes. description. Yeah. Um, I talk a lot about mental health on there. And so I had been I posted this picture of the front page of this journal that I kept in the summer of 2006 and it was written a list of all the things I wanted to do that summer and I hadn't looked at that list until about seven years ago since I'd written it 
Um, and you are correct. There was only one thing checked off on the list. Um, and it was a list of about like 20 things. And there was one thing checked off. Um, and the one thing that was checked off was if I'm remembering correctly, uh, was go to the baseball hall of fame in Cooperstown. Mm -hmm. I'm from New York. I used to live in New York. I'm in St. Louis now, but, um, that was the one thing that I got to do, but the probably May of 2006, April, May of 2006 was when my eating disorder um, it and, and anxiety and depression just completely took over my entire life. And instead of doing all those things on that list that summer, um, I wound up spending every day at either the therapist, psychiatrist, doctor or nutritionist and then wound up spending six weeks in the hospital on a feeding tube and um you know, ha my heart was in bad shape and they were dealing with heart issues and I was on a feeding tube. And so obviously you can't do any of the things that were, the things on my list were like adventurous type things. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that sitting in a hospital bed. And when I looked back at that list, it actually made me think about what other things since then I had missed that I couldn't do because of my eating disorder, the medical complications from it and my anxiety and depression. And if I were to make a list now of all the things that in the last, however, you know, many years, even dating back to 2000, like three, four, if I were to make a list of all those things that I'd missed, you know, it would be hundreds of things long and it might be going places. It might be experiencing something. And it would even be relationships I missed out on would absolutely be in that list too. And so when, when I opened that journal and when I looked at that, and then when I thought about all the other things, it, that the other things that I've missed out on, um, it was, it's just an eye opener. It makes you really see like, you know, when you're in the depth of mental health struggles, you know, whether an eating disorder, addiction, anxiety, depression, whatever it might be, um, it's hard to see, not necessarily reality, but it's hard to look at things not in a negative light. It's hard to, it's hard to, I guess reality is kind of a real thing, especially within an eating disorder, because the starvation does change your brain chemical chemicals. You don't like necessarily see things accurately. You don't necessarily see the ramifications of your actions and um maybe not your actions but of your illness you know you don't see how it's really affecting you you are kind of obsessed with just that goal of starving yourself or binging and purging or you know whatever your issue might be um and so it it just opened my eyes because i wrote that that summer and i you know checked off one thing but that summer the fact that I'd missed out on all those things didn't affect me in any way as much as it did now, because I just couldn't see that that was a result of my illness. Like I couldn't accept that. I couldn't accept that the thing that like, if I had gotten help sooner, if I had, you know, worked harder to, and was compliant in treatment and stuff like that, like that those things I could have done, I couldn't see that then I was too deep in the dark and too deep into my illnesses to be able to see. So just, yeah, it's, it's definitely is an eye opening experience. And, and it's made me appreciate things more. I'd say when I looked at that journal, I, that page just definitely made me appreciate things more and, and made me 
appreciate doing things like being present when I'm doing something. Um, if I'm out somewhere, if I'm hanging out with friends, you know, it's just made me really savor the moment and um, take it all in when you can and, and not let that darkness take things away from you. And, you know, sometimes it is hard. Sometimes I might have something that I am planned to go out to do and I'm just feeling really, really down and don't want to do it. And sometimes I give in and I miss out on that. But sometimes I think about that list and I tell myself, do you really want to miss out on this because of your anxiety or because of your depression? And I try and use that as a tool to like force myself to, to get up and go do that because I don't want the regret of missing out on it like I did that summer and many years since. And I don't remember exactly what's on that list. So I'm not sure your question about, did any of those get checked off? I can't remember everything that's on there, so. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure a few of them did over the years. No, that's, it really, it was such an eye-opening and almost for me because there were so many things, whether it was a relationship and I know I touched on it in our mental health episode a little bit too, where whether it was a relationship or an opportunity um, or even doing this podcast, like in the beginning, I was like, I don't know if I can do it. And then having to mm -hmm. relaunch it too. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I can do it, you know, but to me, it was just so important. And it was almost like, do I really want to miss out on maybe making one less person, you know, feel alone? Yeah. Do I really, do I really want to say, oh, you can't learn how to edit. You can't learn how to do this. You can't do this like on your own before Justine joined. Like, do I really <laughs> want that? And it was like, yeah. no, I want to do it. I want to power through and I want to not have my anxiety, uh, take any more from me than it has. And it, it really, exactly. It, it yeah. really was that moment too, where I was like, Whoa, you know, this is so important. So I definitely will link that because I think it's, it's so important for, yeah. Even if you don't struggle with a disorder, but something just your mental health and to look on that and say it, it, it was just still, it stuck with me even back yeah. in February when we were going to talk. And I was like, this is just, I can't, I can't get over that and how, what the effect it had on myself. Mm -hmm. I, I was just scrolling through my Instagram, trying to find it so we yeah. could find out if I accomplished any of those things. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've now scrolled through my Instagram like four times and can't find it. Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. I know it's, it's there somewhere. It's still there. All of you, I promise. But yeah. uh, you can shoot you guys will link it and, and yeah. it'll be good. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it is eye opening, and you, we all let our mental health take things, not necessarily let us, our mental health does take things from us and it's a fight mm -hmm. to not allow it to. Mm -hmm. And so, you yeah. know, I do think it is such an eye opening thing to, to just think about the things you've missed out on. And I think that can even be a coping mechanism because if you think about the things you've missed out on, and then you think about the things that you really want to happen. Maybe you can use it as something to, you know, motivate you or, you know, push you a little bit to do those other things so that you don't regret what you have missed out on that because your, you know, mental health has taken it away from you. No, oh, absolutely. That's it's again, I just think it's such a powerful thing. And I, I just, even talking now or like halfway through or whatever we're through, I'm like, I can't wait for this to come out and have people <laughs> yes. hear what is being said in this 
because yes. this is such an important thing. And I'm, I'm just, I, anytime you speak on something, I'm just like, oh, like this, yeah. I'm even feeling like validated in myself where it's like, wow, like somebody is speaking to me and yes, I'm just, I can't wait for this to come out already. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that's really important about, about this podcast is not just connecting music and mental health and the impact that music can have, but being honest and vulnerable and speaking out about mental health because, you know, it, it really wasn't until fairly recently then speaking out that speaking out about mental health wasn't taboo and mm-hmm. it, that mm-hmm. kind and, and that kind of thing. And when I was struggling at my worst there, you know, weren't any outlets like this. There weren't people doing this kind of thing, or if there were, I didn't know about them and they weren't right. as vastly mm-hmm. out there and available. Um, you know, I think the first, the first type of, you know, mental health awareness type thing that I ever came across was to write love on her arms when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And I remember it being a big deal that to write love on her arms had come about and they were talking about these issues. And um, because it wasn't, you know, something you talked about, it wasn't, it wasn't something that people were okay being open and vulnerable about. Mm -hmm. And I actually think Jamie Torkowski and to write love on her arms changed that narrative a lot in terms Mm -hmm. of it being okay to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I think anyone who's willing to be vulnerable and talk about it, I think it's important that you do. And whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to be a podcast, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, a podcast, mm-hmm. a blog, yeah. or whether it's just talking to your friends and family, or, you know, if you have a friend that's also struggling, or you think is struggling, talking to them and making them feel less alone. Um, I think any way you can speak out against mental illness is very important. And I was not always in the camp of sharing my mental health story. I was very, very, yeah, yeah, I was very not okay with that. Um, I went to, I went to a private all girl school for high school. um, And it was one of the best all girl schools in the world. We had students from all over. It was boarding school. I was a day student, but um, so I commuted 45 minutes each way there and back to school every day. And it was an extremely, extremely rigorous academic schedule. It was very, very, very competitive. Um, I loved every minute of it, um, but there were definitely things from that experience that contributed to my mental health. And I, you know, every there, there was a whole thing one year at my school because one of the girls in the classes, one of the classes ahead of us, her senior year, she went to a community college instead of going to a four-year college. And that was unheard of out of my high school. It was, you know, people getting into Ivy League school, tons of Ivy League schools, and just this drive to be perfect and smart and Mm -hmm. a million extracurricular activities and get into the best colleges and, you know, do really well on your SATs and, um, just to get admitted into that high school was a big deal. And I, I did not talk about my mental health in high school, but it was more so when I got really sick within, you know, diving deeper into my eating disorder in years after high school, because it kept me from being able to go to college. I didn't want to talk to anybody from high school because I didn't want to be that girl who everyone was talking about that didn't go to high school like the girl who went to the two-year college was. Um, And and I didn't, 
you know, I went back for my five year reunion and my school does their reunions in blocks. So everybody, um, every class comes together for a whole huge weekend. So it might be your fifth year reunion or it might be your 25th or 50th reunion. Everyone comes back together. And the first reunion I went back for, I was super sick and I had um, a feeding tube in my stomach and I had permanent IV line with, um, I was getting medication and stuff through my IV. And, you know, everyone, I was excited to see people, but at the same time, all these other women from all these years are there and you talk to them and you mingle and you see all the staff and teachers that you had. And I just shut, like I had a great time once I realized that my friends were there to protect me and and even the friends that I'd really shut out in the years between graduating and and going back there for that reunion, it just, you know, I, I was just so afraid that the fact that I was sick and the fact that I had an eating disorder, which girls at my school got made fun of for having eating disorders and the teachers held it against them. Um, I... I kind of woke up to the fact that it would be okay to talk about, but for years I wouldn't talk about it. I didn't want to feel, I didn't want people to think I was a failure or weak or anything like that. And that was a lot of it was because of my high school situation. Um, but as I said, I, I, I absolutely love the school. It's called, it's named Emma Willard school. It's where Jane Fonda went to school. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, Jane and I have had chats that re- we share Jane and I share reunions so we've had some very special moments talking about mm-hmm. our very similar stories at at that school um and and how and and mental health Jane and I had a talk about mental health at our last reunion and and eating disorders and we cried together and there's this photo of us hugging and both in tears that the photographer that was there took it's a very awesome photo mm-hmm. and she's a great great person and she's also was you know it was one of those moments where you felt validated and you didn't feel alone because she was willing to talk to me about it when her and I were talking and it's like even Jane Fonda's willing to talk to me when I was just like a stranger to her and the only thing we had in common was that we went to the same high school Mm -hmm. she was open about her mental health and I was like okay someone who's this big of a deal is Mm -hmm. is being open and it comforted me in that moment um even though I was afraid of some of the, you know, what I might tell other people when you're mingling with them and they say to you, Oh, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And, what are you, you know, where'd you go to school and that kind of thing. So, yeah. And you know, That's those amazing. little, yeah, you got to hold on to the little moments like that um, to help you keep going. No, I love I... Jane Fonda. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's she's so sweet and just the she's really wonderful um and i've seen i've seen her um do a speaking i've been to speaking engagements of hers too and she's a very fascinating lady (laughs) that's so great oh now now i feel like i need to go back and i i mean jane fonda like you said she's just so awesome so that just makes Mm -hmm. me love her even more hearing that like yeah hear people are like that i love that yeah yeah, Aww. for sure. Aww. It was one of those like total wins where you're like this person who's like a celebrity that you look up to didn't they like did live up to your expectations and they didn't, you know, yes. mm-hmm. they didn't disappoint you and they were a good person. Yeah. You know, so that it was a really cool moment. Just talking to her about our similar struggles was really great. Aww. That's amazing. I love that. Aww. 
since we're kind of talking about you know like high school years and younger younger you um if you could tell your younger self what you know now of what you've gone through with mental health what would that be I have a couple things that I would tell my younger self. Um, one of the things I, the main thing I would tell my younger self is that, which we kind of touched on this, having a mental illness does not make you weak. It does not make you less than your life matters just as much as someone who doesn't have a mental illness. Um, yeah. Your life matters just as much as someone who is out in the world accomplishing tons of things and being Bill Gates or curing cancer, you know, even if you're just yourself and you feel like you're not worth something because you're not doing these huge, big things, that's not true. Um, You are worth something. And there is, you know, your life matters and your happiness matters and, you know, your sanity. um, And don't, you know, don't tell yourself you're weak um, that because that's not true. You're, You're worth it. You're stronger than, you know, And I think I would have told my younger self that asking for, I tell my younger self that asking for help makes you strong and not weak. That that you're not a failure if you have need help coping. Um, And that's okay. It's okay if you need coping or if you need help coping Um, that, that it's okay. Doesn't make you a failure. And you're stronger than you think you are and you can get through it. Um, that That's what I tell my younger self. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. I do. Cause yeah. I think that's so important because a lot of people, it's hard to ask for help and mm-hmm. it's hard to realize that. And it's some people do view it as, Oh, well, am I weak for that? And, and that's a big mm-hmm. problem of mine where I'll need the help sometimes and I'm like, I can do it on my own. I've got mm-hmm. this. What I don't want to be a burden, you know, or if I've yeah. talked to somebody and I've said things like, Hey, I'm going through a really rough time. And, and, and then if I don't get a response that I feel is like, they really care or that I feel they yeah. listened or whatever, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well then I'm done. That's why I don't, you know, and, and that's mm-hmm. not good either. But yeah. a lot of times that happens to me where it's like, they'll, you know, say, well, we're here for you. Okay, great. But sometimes I think it's so important that we keep, it's like you said too, like, you you know, you kind of keep checking in on those people. And if you know, they're going through a rough time, because I'm a big isolator, I'll isolate, I'll be like, me too. And that's what I do. I isolate all the time. And I have to constantly be like, you know, and then I'll say, Oh, well, they don't care. And really what it is, sometimes it is just me isolating and maybe they do care, but maybe they don't know how to approach it. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's tough. So I think that's so important for people to know too, is just check in on everybody. You you truly, I know everybody says you never know, you don't know what people are going through. You really don't, but I think you, you have to constantly check in on people and whether they lost their job or relationship Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. they're just not coming around a lot. Yeah, I think that's a big one. Like I definitely isolate myself too. Um, I'll go sometimes months without like talking to a person. And it's like, it's not that I don't care and I don't love them. It's just like, I will be so overwhelmed with like everything because I'm an autistic person. So like just normal um, everyday things will stress me out to the point that I will just not respond to anybody at all. 
And so it kind of takes with me for the most part for people to come to me more than I do to them. And sometimes that seems like I don't care. And I know that people can perceive that, but it's one of those things where like, if you know somebody, sometimes you can tell if they don't respond a lot because something's going on and you need to reach out to them. Absolutely. Asking is so difficult. I know that for sure. Yeah. And in turn, yeah, asking is so hard. And in terms of, you know, if you, if you notice a friend is just their personality is different or then it usually is or there, you know, that's a lot of times that's the first sign of someone, you know, really struggling is that they're, they start to isolate or they don't, you know, they're not participating in as many things at school or they're not doing things that they love, you know, those kind of things and just a change in a change in their personality is something to definitely look out for and, you know, reach out if you notice a friend is, is seems to be, you know, acting off. It could just, you know, it could be something um, and that they need to talk to someone about. Yeah. And I, I totally relate to the uh, not going months without talking to friends. Uh, My, I, in addition to my social anxiety, which for years was so bad, I wouldn't even answer the phone when my friends called. And I'm super lucky for the friends from high school that stuck around and kept trying and trying and trying, even though I never answered their calls and they would just leave me voicemails that I'd listen to. Um, And then I might text back and be like, thank you. And that was it. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank, I cannot thank the two, the two or three people who did that enough, um, who did stick around. And some people I've gotten back to, but they're are three people who through my whole entire mental health journey never abandoned me, no matter how much I tried to push them away, um, friends wise. And um, yeah, I just think I, I also relate to that getting overwhelmed with things. And for me, the first thing that goes when I'm overwhelmed is the social aspect. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that goes. And I have ADHD and I also have Mm -hmm. like a sensory processing issue. So when there's a lot going on, my my immediate reaction is to just shut down and it's been that way since I was a really little kid no yeah that that's it it doesn't make it easy and I relate to that there's so many people that I the phone thing was big for me and you know or even like ordering food it wasn't even friends it would be like yeah yeah I can't pick up the phone and so when I knew I was getting a little better in my journey when I can pick up the phone. I can make an appointment for myself. I can answer if someone's calling me or friend. And I agree, like there's certain people in my life that have stuck with it Mm -hmm. and and not went away or thought I was just rude. And it was tough to explain that. And to have those people, it's for life. I will always be so grateful and thankful and, you know, kind of to go into someone I know you're thankful for. Mr. Andrew McMahon. Andrew McMahon is, is he's the, <laughs> Andrew McMahon is the man we can say he is, he's incredible, but uh, you can keep on going with what yeah, your question no, was but he be. is, and I know he is someone that's made such a positive impact on your life and in so many ways. And he also was the main reason that you were able to pick up that camera again. So yes, for, he was. So for you, if you want to describe kind of how, has him as a person, his music, and how has that 
been that positive light in any darkness you've been going through? Yeah. So Andrew's incredible. Um, I, I credit Andrew and Stephen Kellogg and a, and a musician out of Maine, singer songwriter out of Maine named Jason Spooner. I credit their music and them with saving my life completely. Um, I, I was in very dark place. I was extremely sick physically from my eating disorder and I was completely shut down. And even in all those years, their music was what kept me going. There was something about those three artists music that really reached me. And then, I mean, I, I'd been an Andrew fan since the something corporate years. Um, I think the first time I, the first time I saw him was in 2003, um, the fall of 2003. And I was already into my mental health problems at the beginning of my mental health issues at that time. Um, and so his music has been with me throughout this whole entire journey. I've never not had his music when I was struggling with mental health, which is pretty awesome. Um, and, you know, as a person, he has had a huge impact on my life, not just his music um, with his cancer journey and the med and, and my, um, medical complications from my eating disorder, which are extremely extensive. Um, between 2009 and 2015, I spent more time in the hospital than I did at home um, because of the medical issues I suffered from my eating disorder. I still have issues to this day. Um, and so, you know, in the hospital, listening to Glass Passenger, the album Glass Passenger, especially because that followed his cancer journey. A lot of the songs on that had stuff had had you know represented things that I was feeling um, stuck in my hospital room or songs that I needed to you know remind myself that it was going to be okay. You know, I, I remember I would be I listened to Glass Passenger in the hospital all the, I'm, all the time, and I swim his song swim mm -hmm. resolution and then caves um are, are three songs that i just latched onto um during that time and caves especially made me feel less alone because and and it made me feel like some like another person understands this terror of being stuck in the hospital and being ill and it taking over your whole entire life um so yeah, and and he has other songs that just there are some lyrics of his um, that have really changed my life that I hold on to and just repeat in my head to myself when I'm struggling. Um, Watch the sky is a so -co something corporate song mm -hmm. that was huge impact on me. Um, from his brief stint as a solo career as only Andrew McMahon learned to dance was a song that has had a extremely huge impact on my life. Um, so yeah, his music has had a huge impact on my life, but I also have the very amazing, incredible, mind blowing fortune of knowing him personally oh. uh, on a level. Oh, and, um, he has supported me in my photography career. Um, we've, you know, uh, he gave me my first, um, real photo pass, um, for a show and, that he I I'd gotten the photo pass through his manager and then I was I was meeting with him um I like was at his sound check and it was before VIP sound check things that you could purchase it was just like his manager had, had me come to the sound check I was working on a book at the time 
which I am going to publish one of these days, um, that was the story of my eating disorder told through my photographs and the lyrics of Andrew Stephen Kellogg and um, Jason Spooner. And so I was show I like had arranged with his manager to meet with him and show him the book and get permission to use the his lyrics and that kind of thing. And Andrew, you know, I talked to him for a little bit. Of course, my social anxiety was so bad. I was like terrified. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a full show photo pass. He um he's he asked me like do you have a photo pass for tonight and I said yeah and photo passes are usually first three songs only and right. um he gave he said all right I'm gonna you know tell everybody I'm gonna put you down as a full show pass we're gonna change it instead of being three songs and kind of from then on you know every show I go to whenever I see him after the show he's just we talk for a while um and he's just he's so supportive. He's always been supportive. He's like, he always tells me, you know, I'm excited to see you in the photo pit. And he always is, you know, excited about that. Um, and just, he's given me a lot of great advice and, and he's supported me in, you know, my journey and, and been there saying, you know, you can do this. Um, and, and he completely helped me in my photography and as you said, he's the reason why I picked up my camera again. Um, I had been years without picking up my camera and the Something Corporate 10-year reunion tour was coming to town. And I'd been to a few concerts that really had me like itching for my camera, wishing I had that. And I went to the Something, I, I'd been to a few concerts and I was like, I wish I had my camera. So I decided I will bring my like digital point and shoot to the Something Corporate 10-year reunion tour and I was so scared and so anxious. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's just what your anxiety does to you. You know, mm-hmm. I was worried I was going to shoot bad photos because I had convinced myself that this roll of film I'd shot six years before or whatever was bad. And so I still was holding on to that. But I was like, I'm seeing moments in concerts that I wish I was taking pictures of because I'd always music photography has always been one of my main um, specialties since I started shooting photos. Um, when I was young. And so I, it was, it was very scary. And I went up, I went up into the balcony at the um, venue we were at so I could get a seat because I was very sick and I, they, um, so I needed a seat and I had my camera and I was feeling so anxious about it. And then the lights went down and they came on stage and the lights came up and the music started playing and I started taking pictures and I never looked back. And it, it was all because of that tour and that and and it was music that had gotten me through so much that I knew if I was going to be able to do something with my photography again I knew starting there was going to be I knew starting there was the right thing to do you know it was it was it was what was going to power me through and I always find shooting bands that I know personally or whose music I have a really large connection to my photos are always a lot more a lot more representative of that person, um, who they are as people and a lot more, um, vulnerable in, in a way and more emotion filled. Um, and that I think all started shooting that, um, SoCo 10 year reunion tour, um, you know, just up in the balcony. I didn't have a photo pass for that. That didn't come until the people and things tour, but, um, yeah. And now, now I, I'm doing my photography and I mean 
because of my mental health and my medical issues, I, I am on disability, but I do photography part-time and that's like, you know, it's one of my main coping mechanisms. It's done so much for my life. It's opened doors. It's given me confidence. It's giving me friends. It's just done so much. And, um, without that something corporate reunion tour and, um, the strength I had to bring to, from his music to, and, and the, you know, confidence I had in terms of bringing my camera that day and thinking that it would be okay if there weren't a million great pictures, that would be okay because what that artist and their music meant to me was important. And even if there were, you know, a couple, a couple, um, shots on there that were really good then that'd be okay that that you know I'd be okay with one or two really good shots it didn't have to everything didn't have to be perfect because there was that safety of this music that I found so much that like I found so much peace and solace in oh I do I I love that and I love to hear that because I was a huge admittedly much more something corporate like that was my everything. And I, I followed mm -hmm. Andrew as well. And it's great to hear anyone I talk to that has had a run in with him or, or a relationship, whatever it is, just how great he is. Yeah. And I feel like I have yet to hear anyone say otherwise. And I love that he's, whether it was his music or him personally at taking his time to have that relationship he formed with, like that just... It just makes me like yeah. later after this to listen to more Andrew McMahon and just be like, yeah, he that that's it's just a, I like got a little touching. Like, I'm just like, I just really yeah. do like when you hear artists like that, that truly mm -hmm. are backing their fans and care more so like just, yeah. just care mm -hmm. about who's listening to them or or mm -hmm. just people in general. And I just I love hearing that. I love that story. Yeah, I do. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. he's the best, you know. I, I, I wouldn't be where I am today without his music and the other two people I mentioned. Um, I spent many, many hours in the hospital listening to their music on my iPod and, and it, it was, it was just life-changing. And, you know, in the beginning of my mental health journey, I found myself being drawn to like rescued by Jack's mannequin and some of the more some of this, not sad, but a lot of the music that I was drawn to in the beginning of my mental health journey was more, was, you know, sad and maybe angry, some good Charlotte. Um, and I was finding, <laughs> I was finding where I related to be in these really depressing, sad songs. And as my journey has gone on, and it was really interesting to see with like specific artists in general, how like, like what songs spoke to me more as my journey went on and how I transitioned from these really sad, you know, low songs to ones that were more full of hope um, was really, has been really interesting to see. Where, I love where, that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> I love that. And just like touching again about like your relationship with them. It's just, it's so validating for all of us. Like you always want to hear that people that you love and admire are just good people overall. Mm -hmm. But also I remember watching his documentary that he had about his cancer journey. And it was so, it was so powerful. And I love that he did that for everybody to see, you know? Absolutely. Like, his, his doc, that documentary, Dear Jack, 
was yeah. a had a huge impact on me. Um, I saw myself in that in that you know in him in that documentary in that hospital bed. Um, I felt his pain on a different level than I think people who haven't been in that situation could feel it. Yeah. And it made that is something that documentary was something that gave me strength to share my story because this person I looked up to, I didn't have a relationship with him at the time. This person I looked up to so much was being so open and so vulnerable and it moved me to my core. And I thought if I'm open and vulnerable about my, my illness and my mental health struggles, maybe it will move someone else and maybe it can help someone else. And, and that documentary was a huge reason why, as I said, why I started talking about my um, health problems. Yeah. I, I do. I, 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 although a different musician, we recently, um, mm-hmm. Anthony green is huge mm-hmm. of us of Circa survive. And yeah. the other day he shared our podcast and I remember, I mean, going through shows and having meeting him and him always being supportive too. Mm -hmm. And having that post up there, it wasn't even about because immediately people are like, oh, the followers or the people you're going to get. It's just that, wow. Okay. Someone I admire, someone's music who has Mm -hmm. helped me through my darkest times and and Justine as well is backing something that you find so important and you want to put out there and it almost made me like I already loved him as a person his music what he's done for us and others but it was just like I was just so taken back because that validation of someone being there for you when whether it was just the music at first but then as a person you're just like okay, like that was just another mm-hmm. thing with this podcast, as much as it's hard sometimes to do, um, whether like if we're having a day, you know, and, and I'm like, yeah. oh, do I really want to sit there and record and, you know, talk <laughs> yeah. about my mental health? Mm-hmm. Like, like I want to, but am I in that headspace? And it almost yeah. is like, mm-hmm. yeah, you need to put that out there. Like you need to, you yeah. need to do that. Like, yeah. And, and what you can do. And I just, I think that's so powerful with music and how that can, it can just inspire you so much more than it ever did. And I'm, oh, I can't, I can go on about that. We're never going to get over that. We we talk about it almost every day. (laughs) I, yeah, I still, I, I love it when they're one of the Andrews tours. um, He did, he had, I can't remember if he had a photographer on tour with him or not, but um, I, had been you know I deal with his management for my photo passes and whatever and um he this one tour like I his management was like was talking to me about using my photos for socials and stuff and so we we did that and it was just seeing my photos with my photo credit on Andrew's socials was just like crazy (laughs) I was like this is so cool you know and and knowing Mm -hmm. that he thought like him and his management thought they were good enough to feature mm-hmm. just brought me joy and confidence. And, you know, it's one of those, that was a win. That was a little win when they, you know, reached out and that kind of thing. So, and when, while we're on the topic, you might've been already going to ask this question. Cause I think yes. it's on my list. Yes. <laughs> while we are on this topic of, of, you know, people who have, you know, musicians or people who have 
impacted your life um i have to give a shout out to steven kellogg who yeah, is let's a, dive a, in <laughs> a dear yes. steven is the kindest person maybe that i've ever met in my entire life um i started listening to his music in 2005 i believe uh 2005 or 2006 i stumbled on him as an opener and i just fell in love with his music um and he is an incredibly vulnerable human being. Um, and along the way from going, you know, after going to some shows, I wound up becoming, you know, friends with him. And my mom works in the music industry. And so we were, you know, doing some, she was working on some stuff with um, one of her clients was going to be opening for him on a few tours and was dealing with his, his um, management and that kind of thing. And so I wound up meeting him and then, he's just been there through my, and that was, you know, be, right at the beginning of my mental health journey. And for over the years, he's just been incredible. I mean, he also has supported me in my photography, just, um, uh, you know, giving me photo passes and letting me come in and shoot. Um, but personally, he, he has been I don't even know if I can put into words the impact that man has had on my life. Just knowing that he was there to be a little like bright light. Um, anytime, you know, I just, anytime I could email him or see him and, you know, we've gotten to be good friends and it's just, it's just incredible. And, and, you know, during COVID he was, he did this thing called the virtual experience tour. He had a tour scheduled and he had to cancel it because of COVID. So instead, so he made every single one of those shows virtual and he still did the full headlining tour from his basement with his virtual setup and live streamed them all. And, you know, I'd been having a tough time and he emailed me and, and gave me the code to be able to watch any show I wanted without buying the tickets. And it was just, COVID I think was so hard for people with mental health and the, Definitely. you know, I got through COVID because of his, um, because of his live streams and he did like, I don't even know something crazy, like 80 live streams or something during COVID, like a ton. And, you know, just him reaching out and saying, here's this, here's the code. You don't have to buy tickets, watch any here's so you can watch any that you want. And, um, it's just been incredible. Uh, he, he there was a show that I was at um here in Missouri and he texted me beforehand and was like I have something for you pick it up at the merch table on he was sick and on vocal rest but he was like I have something for you I'm leaving it at the merch table and I went to the merch table and it was this piece of paper with type like, with writing on it from a typewriter and a little note that says wrote said wrote this on a typewriter made me think of you I wanted you to have it and he like and he had them give it to me and it was it was just something he'd written that he thought I would you know see hope and light in and that I he thought I was appreciate and he passed that along to me and it's just been incredible getting to know him and and getting to see someone be so vulnerable because his songwriting is incredibly vulnerable and and he's very open about his personal life and everything and just I cannot thank the man enough. He has just been, he's an incredible human and and so sweet and supportive. And anytime I need anything, you know, if I need anything with music or anything, really, I can reach out to him and, and say, Hey, this is what I, 
want to chat about. <laughs> He's just great. So Bailey, what tools do you use to cope on the bad days? And what do you say to anyone that is struggling to find something to help them to cope? So for me, really what I turn to most on my bad days is music. Um, and that goes back a long, long ways. Um, when I was in treatment for the final set of treatment, residential treatment for my eating disorder, we came up with this thing. My psychiatrist and my mom had been weighing in on it. And we came up with this idea to have me listen to music prior to sitting down at the table to eat meals to try and help me cope with the fact that I had to sit down and eat meals. I'd been tube fed for so long. It was just such a foreign thing for me to sit down at a table and eat a meal. And so I, we called it pre-mealing and I would take my iPod and I would listen to a couple songs and then I'd go sit at the table and it actually helped me calm down and just be able to get out of my head and just be in that moment. And so from that point on, you know, I saw the tangible effects of music on my psyche, I guess you could say. And I always, that's what I always turn to. Um, and it's not always an upbeat song or a happy song or <laughs> a motivational song. It could be a really sad song, but that's what I need in that moment to relate to and to feel like I'm being under, feel like I'm understood and to feel like you know I've always said that music speaks for me when I can't speak for myself and so whether the song is happy sad angry uplifting whatever I turn to music and you know another example is um all of my hospital stays my iPod came with me no matter what every time I went to the ER every time I was admitted my iPod came with me and yes I do still listen to music on an iPod classic because <laughs> I prefer that over Spotify and my phone mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm a little old school <laughs> I like their I like their style of of how you can make playlists so <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like how much music you can fit on one of those old iPod classics so I would always take it with me to my hospital stays and before any of my surgeries I always listen to music that would calm me down and just kind of get me settled and so I wasn't so anxious about surgery and you would think someone who'd been through as many surgeries as I have I've had like five major open abdominal surgeries and then a bunch of my other surgeries on top of that and the more surgeries I had the more anxiety I had going into them and so I really leaned on music in that in those moments I mostly was putting on Stephen Kellogg and Andrew, <laughs> Andrew McMahon. They were mostly who I was listening to before surgery in the pre-op areas or in my room before they took me down if I was admitted beforehand. And so just leaning on that music to really make me, to calm me down or to make me feel understood or to speak for me when I couldn't find the words to speak for myself. And then a, another really recent one, um, something that I really leaned on music heavily in a bad moment. My grandma passed in December and 
we she was in a hospice home for the final two days of her life and we sat there at her bedside just you know waiting for the time to come and after she passed it was very hard on me and I I was very close with her and it was super hard on me and I was sitting there with this is kind of morbid but we were waiting for the um, funeral home to come pick her up and my mom and my sister went somewhere I'm not sure where they like went to go get food or something because we'd been sitting at her bedside waiting for the moment to come for like I don't even know like 15 hours or something and so they all left and I was just sitting in the room alone with her body while I was waiting for the people to come pick her up and I was I I just knew that music was the only way I was going to get through it and there was a song in particular that I was that I put on repeat and I just listened to it like six times while I sat there with her and it was Sunday New York Times by Matt Nathanson and it immediately came into my head because my grandma was absolutely in love with her Sunday New York Times and I just knew that I needed in that moment to hold on to that to the to the lyrics of that song and it was it was the perfect lyrics and the perfect song. Um, and I just knew I needed that in that moment. I, I don't think I would have gotten through sitting there with her waiting for the funeral home to come if I had not just had that song on repeat over and over and over again. Just sitting there, feeling the music, listening to the music, you know, and really taking it in and just sitting there with her. Um, I didn't want to leave her alone. That was something I told my mom, my sister. I was like, I'm not, I'm not leaving her in this room alone. And I, you know, I just, that was, that was one of the ways that I got through it. And I've lost a lot of people in my young life. Um, my best friend, uh, my best friend in the entire world passed away in 2000 and, oh God, I'm going to get this wrong. 2012 my um would have been brother-in-law who I was super close to passed away in 2011 and one of my best friends from high school passed away in 2010 and I leaned on music in all of those cases to get through that loss and there were there there were specific songs that I just leaned on um you know for my friend from high school her name was Katie and there there Katie by Jack's mannequin was just perfect. She had struggled with an eating disorder like I did, and that was what had caused her death. And um, we had really bonded over a shared struggle and understanding where each other were coming from and just having just having music in those moments. You know, my best friend from high school, I, I when she passed, I really leaned on Long Live by Taylor Swift. Um, I just, the... I had the time of my life fighting dragons with you from that lyric from that song. Just that got me through that lyric from that song really got me through that time. And I don't think there was a specific song when my um, would have been brother-in-law passed. Uh, he passed from a heroin overdose. So it was very sudden. So we weren't expecting it at all. Um, we weren't expecting any of those three deaths. And so music really has been, what I've leaned on in all of my darkest moments. And in terms of 
if someone's struggling to find something to help them cope, I'm going to go with some advice I got from a therapist. He actually was a psychiatrist that I saw. Um, he's a very well-respected, well-known eating disorder psychiatrist out of New York City um, named Ira Sacker. And he was, I saw him for, I don't know, eight months, maybe twice a week. I took the train into the city twice a week to go see him. And he was amazing. And one of his theories was that people with eating disorders or addictions, but he specialized in eating disorders. So people in those cases are very, their eating disorder or their addiction or any of those things are their obsession. And so one of the things you need to do is you need to replace that obsession and you need to lean on the things you're passionate about and you need to find the things you're passionate about and really lean on those and replace that obsession that you have with your eating disorder with another obsession. And so that was very helpful advice to me that I have passed on to other people because it really, it, it was helpful for me because I did lean on the things I was passionate about. It took a long time for me to kind of accept his advice and his theories. And, you know, it took a while for me to accept that I needed to change the ways I was living. Um, but leaning on my passions and finding those things that could replace that bad obsession. It was something that was really helpful to me and I think can be really helpful to a lot of people. No, I, I agree because even just listening to that, I know people personally that, I mean, they haven't publicly come out with what they're struggling with, but I can just tell and from their history where it's like that, I feel just hearing that. And I hope that they listen to this because I think that that's, that is going to be something that's really, really helpful mm -hmm. to so many people. And yeah. I, uh, and it's something, <laughs> it's something so simple yet so profound. Like when mm -hmm. he talked to me about, the, I actually started, went to see that, see Dr. Soccer because I read a book he'd written and the beginning of the book talked about all this. It's called regaining yourself. And he talked in the book a lot of what he was saying about his beginnings of being a doctor and how he'd been affected by his early years as a med student stuff really hit me. And then his whole theory about finding these new obsessions and, and just finding your passions and that kind of thing. I was like, I think this guy could help me. And at this mm -hmm. point I'd been to treatment centers all across the country and doctors all over and therapists and psychiatrists and put on different meds and tried everything and nothing was working. I was what they considered to be a treatment resistant eating disorder patient and so I thought maybe he can help me and even though I was like maybe he can help me with this theory it wasn't right away that I was able to accept that help um but I definitely held on to that what I learned from him and held on to that and carried it with me going forward and used that in future treatment places that I went to um and in the treatment place, the treatment center that I went to, that it finally 
the doctor cracked through to me and the therapist, but, um, you know, yeah, I just, it, it sounds so simple, but it really is a very helpful tool that I think a lot of people, they might not think of, you know, take that mm-hmm. bad obsession and replace it with a good obsession. And so many, a lot of times the word obsession has a negative connotation to it. And I think that it doesn't have to. And so if the way to get through your really bad days or to come out the other side of an addiction or an eating disorder or depression or anxiety, whatever you're struggling with, if the way to come out of that is to replace your bad behaviors with a better form of an obsession, I think that's totally fine. I think whatever is going to get you through is going to get you through and throw away that negative connotation that goes with having something, being obsessed with something. Wow. Like I, I feel like that's going to really stick with me too. There's so many things when we're talking, but that's something that for myself and just to think about like, wow, (laughs) that's just, that's just, it does. But I mean, you Bailey are such a survivor and I do, I think you're one of the bravest, one of the bravest people I've talked to, whether it's this podcast or just in life. And I feel like you're someone, even after we're done with this, that already, like when, um, you know, we had to take a little break because of a thunderstorm and I'm going and editing and just everything. It's it's already sticking with me and what you've said. And I'm already just so impacted with it. And I love your honesty because I'm sure it's not it can't be that easy to be that way. And I have one, I mean, Justine and I appreciate you being so open and honest and wanting to come on and sharing your story. And I, I just so much respect for you in so many ways. And I mean, I just, I can't put into words, but um, if we are noticing anybody struggling, whether it is addiction or their mental health or, an eating disorder. I mean, and all those things do like Justine touched on in our mental health episode about how, whether it is, uh, you know, a loss of a job or, um, anything, these all things pertain to our mental health. Like they affect Mm -hmm. our mental health. Like maybe you don't suffer from anxiety or depression, but your mental health is impacted by so many things. If we see someone battling something and we're on the outside and, and what, advice as someone that has gone through so much what would you tell people that are on the outside maybe just some advice of how can they really maybe reach out or help someone that they see that's struggling yeah so I think what you said about um about your mental health is a lot of you don't necessarily have to struggle with a psychiatric or mental health condition to be have your mental health be affected there's situational depression you know grief there's grief whether it's loss of life or loss of it you know loss of a loved one or loss of a job or you know loss of a life that you thought you were going to have you know maybe you were engaged and then the the relationship fell apart and so that life isn't ahead of you anymore whatever it is grief is a big one that I think a lot of people don't see as affecting their mental health um 
but that's situational and you might not be dealing with it for the rest of your life. Maybe you are, but maybe you're only dealing with it for a short period of time. Um, I think it's, I definitely think it's important to reiterate that you don't have to be diagnosed with a mental health condition to struggle with your mental health or, or really be aware of your mental health and how it's being affected by things going on in your life. Um, so I wanted to say that, and mm-hmm. then I think, I think that, um, you know, as someone who people were trying to help for a really long time, who didn't want the help and didn't think there was anything wrong. I think one of the most important things is to not give up on the person, but also not push too hard Mm -hmm. because the harder Mm -hmm. you push, if they're in a really dark place or in a really bad situation, the harder you push, the further away they're going to become. But Mm -hmm. if you give up on them, they're going to feel abandoned and like they don't matter and nobody cares. And so what's the point of getting through this dark time or getting over an addiction or eating disorder, you know, through this really deep depression, et cetera. So I think you have to really, it's a fine balance between being too forward and not being there at all. So I think you really have to, you have to make sure the person knows that you're there for them, whether it's just sending them a care package or calling them up and saying, do you want to go to the movies? And if they say no, that's totally fine. But you offer. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if they say no 50 times, or if they don't pick up the phone when you call and they leave and you, that you leave them messages, you know, don't stop. Because if you know that person's going through a hard time, it's not it's not personal that they're not calling you back or they're not answering the phone um, or that they don't want to go hang out with you. It's not personal at all. It's their illness or their depression, whether it's a temporary depression or a you know lifelong mental illness. Um, I had a friend who did that and... <laughs> She would call me all the time and I'd be, every time I was in the hospital, she'd call. If I wasn't in the hospital, she'd call. She was a friend from high school. She, she called all the time and she left messages and I was terrible. And I, I think of it now as like I was terrible because she was reaching out and trying to like offer friendship and I just couldn't accept it because I was too deep down in this terror in this dark place and my anxiety I didn't want to use the telephone so I'd just like text her back and say oh thanks for the call or whatever mm-hmm. she sent me care packages all the time when I was in the hospital and she just never gave up on me but she never pushed either it was never like Bailey we have to get you out of this hole like we have to do something to fix you or she never treated me like there was something wrong with me um she she just treated me like the same person I was in high school. Like, and even though I was sick in high school, I wasn't, it wasn't a known thing. I hadn't been in put in treatment yet. It was just a very much, I guess a lot of people in school suspected that I had an eating disorder and were pretty positive. I did a couple people knew, um, but you know, it wasn't like, 
oh, this is Bailey, the eating disorder patient or, you know, eating disorder person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she just treated me like her friend that she'd always had. And that was huge for me. And just the phone calls, the voicemails, the care packages, all that stuff. It was just knowing she was thinking about me and that I was just normal Bailey to her. Like the voice messages she left weren't, you know, they were just like, I got to fill you in on the gossip from what I heard about so-and-so and <laughs> stuff like that. And so, you know, just again, that fine line between like treating someone, you know, not pushing too much, being there for them, treating someone normally, but also letting them making sure they know that if you need help and if you need help asking for help, mm -hmm. that you're there to help them navigate that because it can be really hard to navigate the systems of getting care for your mental health. And it can be, you know, we just went through this with my sister about a year ago and we were calling, she was calling therapists and places and it was just every door was being shut in her face. It was like, we're not accepting new patients. We're not accepting new patients. Yes. Our wait list yep. is six months long. And so it can be really, really difficult. And it can be really a really daunting task. It's hard enough to ask for help. And then when you get people telling you, we can't help you because our, you know, we're not accepting new patients or sorry, you're struggling with, you know, X, Y, and Z. I don't, you know, we, we have a wait list of six months long, you know, you're going to have to wait to get in that kind of thing. You know, that is just very, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. It's, it's just, it, it runs you down when you're just like getting the door shut in your face over and over again. And you're already run down. If you're right. asking for this help, you're already in a situation where you're feeling run down and you're feeling like, you can't do life without help. And then this basic thing of saying, okay, can you help me turns into even more, e even more trauma and loss of, you know, loss of hope. And I mean, I saw my sister lose complete hope when she was told that this program that we thought she was going to be able to go into and they came back and said, oh, never mind. We don't think you're the right fit. And she had thought that like, this was going to be the answer and like, they were going to really help her. And then they came back and said, oh no, sorry, we said yes, but now we're saying no. And she just, she just lost hope in that moment. And so, yeah, letting them know that you're there to help them navigate and, and get through getting help. That, that's a big thing too. No, that. That's so important. A lot of what you said too, of that not pushing either in that fine line, because my fiance was in a really bad accident and I've talked about it before and he was diagnosed with depression, with anxiety, with a processing disorder, with uh, what they believe is a little bit of PTSD. And he battles mm -hmm. every day and his nerve pain, his chronic pain. And there's times when people will call him and, you know, Hey, let's go do this and stuff that like the old G would do, you know? And, mm -hmm. um, it's hard for him to do those things now. And it's hard for him to, you know, even sometimes get up out of the house and go watch a football game, you know? And it's tough because some people have always thought, Oh, the tough love, that's what he needs. We need yeah. tough love. And it, that's okay. If that's what you think, but 
the harder people were with him, the more he was like, no, all right, this is why I stay in. This is why I do mm-hmm. this. And yep. I've got to take care of myself and this is what I need. And it was always so important to kind of let people know that it's great. You're reaching out. You don't stop doing it. But a lot yeah. of times you may get those no's and yeah. it's, it's okay mm-hmm. that you do, but you also might get mm-hmm. a yes sometimes, but it's, it's so important to, I, I think for people to know that and to just don't take it personally, like you like, don't, yeah. don't just, you know, and, and let people do what they need to do for themselves mm-hmm. and whatever I they th- need. Yeah. I think you need to respect the no, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, just you're going to get a yes one of these days, but you got to yeah. respect the nose and you can't make someone feel worse because they're just not up for it mentally right then. Yeah, exactly. I know I related to that a lot too, because like, I'm one of those people, like I'm going to probably say no more than I'm going to say yes, mm-hmm. but to have the options stop coming, like it, it does make you feel like, okay, well, they don't like me anymore. Or, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, I appreciate the asking. I'm probably going to say no. Mm-hmm. But knowing that you're going to keep asking me means a lot to me. And I know that this friendship is still okay, even though I'm not able to do what I'm used to do, you know, and I think a lot of people forget that too, where, yeah. especially if you're somebody that did used to go out more or you know, things are going on and life's happening and it's making it harder to go out. And a lot of people have trouble understanding that because they think that getting a lot of no's is awful. And like you said, it shouldn't be personal. And just getting that question to be asked to go anywhere just makes you feel like, okay, they still, they're still my friend. It's okay. Right. Like, and, and so. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> you go ahead. <laughs> I, I think. I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think it's also important because if those calls stop coming or, you know, Mm -hmm. if people stop asking you to do things or you start losing friendships, then that's another loss in your life, in that person's life. And that's another thing that whatever type of mental health struggle or illness you're going through has taken from you. And that just makes things even worse. Like you, you, you just get Mm -hmm. even more discouraged and feel even more down just because you feel, you, you feel another loss. And I think, I think it's a really big thing that a lot of most people who are dealing with mental health struggles have a whole sent whole aspect of grief down in there somewhere of grieving the life that they imagined for themselves when they were young. You know, if, if you're not someone whose mental health struggles started, you know, in elementary school or something like you might have had, if you're someone who they started, you know, even in high school or after whenever, you know, you may have had these dreams for yourself or you may have envisioned this life for yourself. And then your mental health struggles took that away from you or made it, so that you couldn't live out the life you always imagined you would, or maybe some aspects of it. You know, I think we all, 
I think that's something that's not talked about enough in terms of mental health, that we're all grieving um, the life we thought we would have. Mm -hmm. And so when those, you know, when people, when you lose friendships and when those calls stop coming, that's another loss. And that's another thing your illness has taken away from you or your mental health struggles have taken away from you. I can relate to that so much because Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone that knows me the last four years of since my fiance's accident have been very hard. You know, I went from doing my own thing to then being the caretaker of him to then and and my his own mental health struggles but my own and mine had to take a back seat which I was gladly would do it again but when my mental health really dwindled and the calls stopped coming when I wasn't the first one you know to say hey you know or when I was just struggling so bad where I couldn't pick up the phone I I would just stay in the house and get through each day. And when those calls stopped coming, it was just like, well, this is, or when I would ask for help or, you know, people would say, what can we do? And, you know, like whether it was just come over or whatever it was. Um, and when I felt like I was kind of alone, I shut mm-hmm. off and mm-hmm. it was, and it's almost like that grief of, wow, had these last four years not been so hard where I was in that depressive episode. I was going through the darkest times and I felt like I didn't, I really didn't have anybody, you know, like we, mm-hmm. my fiance and I had each other and like, yes, I had my families in Illinois and you know if they're listening to this. Yes, they were there, but it's, it's difficult when you're not close. And I just mm-hmm. felt like yeah. I had nobody close mm-hmm. in a way that I had. And it, I just got deeper and deeper and I kept would always go back and say, wow, (laughs) had that one day not happened, had, you know, and in our lives would be this, I would be maybe married by now, maybe a mom by now, maybe this, if I had Mm -hmm. this four years of chunk of time and, you know, the friendships I kind of lost in these four years, Mm -hmm. the relation, like everything, when I think about that, it's, it just, it's, it's crazy how much, what can be taken from you. And that, that grief you talk about, because it's like, even hearing you say that, I was like, that's me the last four years. Like that is me. And probably even earlier, you know, like I remember in high school and I look back before I knew I had anxiety and, um, a bit of the ADHD. I'm not properly diagnosed, but I know I'm like, I know Mm -hmm. I have it. I know I have Mm -hmm. those traits. Um, and it's like, even looking back, I had it in high school, I didn't yeah. know it, but I, I sure enough had it then. And it's been just like traveling with me and every year it's like, okay, well I achieved this, but I didn't get to do this or I'm not mm-hmm. here yet because of whatever it is. And it's, it's hard. I think it's hard for anybody struggling and anything, mm-hmm. you know, big or small too. Cause that's it too. You know, whether it's something big to someone else or, or small to someone else, it's, it's mm-hmm. big to you. And that matters too, because I think that's yeah. another thing too. Some people think, Oh, like, well, if they hear somebody else's story, they think, Oh, well, mine's not that bad. Or, you know, or what I'm going through isn't no, it is. If it's big to yeah. you and it's, it's, yeah. it's affecting you, it's, it's big. You shouldn't downgrade it either. you shouldn't compare yourself to other people's you're you shouldn't compare your struggles to other people's struggles Mm -hmm. 
I dealt with that a lot in treatment centers um, for my eating disorder. A lot there is a believe it or not, a mm-hmm. lot of competition among the residents at a lot of treatment centers and seeing who's sicker than, you know, who's the sickest and, oh, I want to be sicker than this person. And I got wrapped up in it because you just, you, you get wrapped up. That's part of your eating disorder. You want to be the sickest person there. And there's a lot of competition. And there were a lot of times that I sat and I was like, okay, am I the sickest person here? No, not this week. Or, you know, we got a new resident in and they're sicker than me. So I'm not good enough. And, you know, just that comparing your struggles to other people's struggles, don't do it. It's Mm -hmm. easier said than done. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. But it's not going to get you anywhere. It's just going to make you feel worse. And your struggles Mm -hmm. are just as important as anyone else's struggles, whether you think their struggles seem more like a more of a big deal than yours or more major than yours, your struggles are you know, if they're affecting your life, they matter and they, you know, there, there's no comparison, comparing people's struggles. Your mental health struggles are your own and your mental health journey is your own. And however it plays out, you know, if it's affecting your life, then it matters to, you know, then it, it's a big enough deal to seek help or you know, ask for help or, you know, any of that kind of thing, you, you know, get just, it's a big enough deal to, to matter. Yeah. I think that was really important for you to touch on. I think that happens with so many people and, you know, whether it's mental health or something physical is that Mm -hmm. you constantly get told, well, think about this you don't have this or (laughs) this person's going through something worse and especially I think a lot of us got raised with that too yeah and yeah and sometimes having that train of thought not only makes you you get worse but also makes it harder to ask for help because you're like Mm -hmm. well that guy over there is worse than me so Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be fine and like you said like it's really important to think even if you're not as bad as like maybe the person next to you, you're still struggling. Yeah. And it's still important. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That that's me to a T. That like I, I'm always that person where I say, oh, well, you know, as much as this is going on or that's not great. Well, then I hear about someone else. I'm like, oh, but it's okay. But we still have a roof over our head. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Or we still, I still have a job. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's like, no, I'm really struggling right now. And that's yeah. okay. Like, that's all right. Even if it, it is. So that's, but that is, that's my biggest problem. I always think like, oh, people have it worse than me. So why am I like complaining about it? Or why am I mm-hmm. upset about it? And having to deal with that. And, and it's like you said, I think, you know, I think we were raised with that. And, you know, that's yeah. no down downing to my parents or anybody yeah, else. No. But it's like, it, it is yeah. it's a different time. And, you know, people also didn't talk about that stuff either. Like, yeah, like, yeah. you know. Well, I and I, th- yeah, I think, I think you definitely touched on something with being raised on it. I, I mean, I think mm-hmm. we're all around the same kind of age. We were raised yep. in the 90s. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I constantly remember like, always being told and not by my parents by like teachers at school and stuff by being mm-hmm. told like there are starving kids in Africa like yes, yes, yeah. you know that's a very <laughs> common like I mean that just thing stuck I think with we me. all millennials heard yeah yes it just stuck with me like they constantly 
there are starving kids in Africa, so you shouldn't complain about your situation. I don't know why they always picked starving kids in Africa, but it, it seems like every always, teacher did. Always. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to laugh, but it is true. They they line. did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was it was always that there are starving kids in Africa. You ha- you aren't struggling. Like mm-hmm. I just heard that. I remember hearing that in school, even in like elementary school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like kids who complain to say too. It's not just parents. It's it was like yes. any adult figure. Yeah. 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 I got it definitely more at school than like growing up than I did at home. Same. But. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Always, always. But that's oh, I just feel like we touched on so many important things. And again, Bailey, I just want to thank you so much for coming and I, again, I, I've said it a couple of times during this, but I cannot wait for this to be out. I think you truly have how music has truly saved your life. I mean, I think we all say it, but you are someone that is that representation of that. And one, I am so glad you are still here with us and people are going to hear this story. And I seriously feel like I'm like, not only did I have someone so great for this podcast, but I feel like almost like a friend. Like I feel mm-hmm. like yeah. I'm like I'm yes. sick with you. <laughs> yeah. Like I am seriously like just everything you have said and the impact and cannot again thank you enough for your bravery, being so open and just I cannot just thank you enough. And I'm so thankful for you for sticking around too when I had to relaunch. And you were also someone like that when I wasn't sure it was going to happen, you were willing to maybe one, help me with a website. You were, you were so great. And it was just because you were so behind the message of it. Mm-hmm. And, but you truly like, for me, it was like, just so thankful to have you on and other people to hear you and your story. And I can't wait for this to get out here. And again, just from Justine and I, I mean, I'm sure she'll say it too, but thank you so much for coming on and talking with us yeah. and being patient with us. I just of course. can't thank you enough. Yeah. And, and I can't thank you for allowing me to thank you enough for allowing me to come on and, and share parts of my story. And, you know, I do truly believe in, in what you're trying to do with this podcast. If there were people with something like this, when I was first you know, struggling, I and first starting my mental health journey, I think things would have turned out a lot differently. I mean, just knowing you're not alone, I felt so alone. And I think just knowing that there are other people out there that, that struggle and that it's okay to struggle. And also that connection with music that you're, you know, seeing that, music is such a uniter of people and it's such a hopeful thing um, and it can carry so much hope in it. I think it always, it does carry so much hope in it. Uh, I think that's really cool too, to, and just the connection of, you know, music and mental health. We've obviously touched on how much that has impacted mm-hmm. my journey. So I just truly love what you're doing with this podcast. I think it's, it's really important. And um, I will uh, I will have you guys put my Instagram in the yes. links because I'll give I'll have you put my uh, personal Instagram in there. I post about mental health stuff on there, and um, and I will also have you share. I have on my Spotify. I have some playlists that are like songs for the dark days, 
um, songs that, that <laughs> the playlist titles are lyrics because I'm a lyric junkie. So, mm-hmm. but, um, so the one that's songs for the dark, that, that are like songs for the dark days, that one is my mixtape. I do believe a song can heal me. And then that I do, I make playlists like every season kind of, it's like all the music I've been listening to, but there are certain ones on there that are like, as I said, the, I do believe a song can heal me one. There's one that's, I learned more from a three minute record. That's all music. That's like taught me things through the lyrics and the songs that, you know, I think could be beneficial to people. Um, so I will have you link my Spotify also. I love that. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and I have to give, before we go off, I have to yeah. give a shout out to one other artist whose music has kept me going the last few, I don't know, maybe four or five years. He's, yeah. he's right up there with Andrew McMahon and Stephen Kellogg in terms of life-saving he hasn't been around as long for me in my journey, so he doesn't get quite up there. But uh, <laughs> Rustin Kelly's music has been huge for me. So if you do not know the music of Rustin Kelly, he speaks about mental illness and addiction in his music. And he's very open and honest, and his music is incredible, and he's so vulnerable. But he has a lot of hope in his last couple records. And that's just an artist whose music has really really helped me along the last few years and who's been really special to me. So I wanted to give a shout out to Rustin Kelly's music as well. Absolutely. I'll have to check him out because he is someone that I am not familiar with, but hearing that I'm like, I'm going to have to check it out. I'm always wanting to hear people that have a message like that. And I feel like that's who I gravitate towards anyways, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I feel like now I need to, again, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send you my link to my best of Rustin Kelly playlist. Yes. Absolutely. I will do that. Writing it down too, because I don't want to forget. (laughs) Yeah. So if you know, he, he has a lot of his music started out not as hopeful because he was just overcoming his addiction, but the last couple albums have just been a lot of hope. His most recent album is called the weakness and the lead single lyrics are uh, from the lead single um we don't give in to the weakness is like the main part of the chorus and just yeah i'll send you the link yeah that'll be on my spotify too for anyone who wants mm-hmm. to check out the best of Rustin kelly yes <laughs> he's amazing he's really gotten me through a lot and so he gets as i said he gets a special shout out of course of course but oh Thank you so much again. And that was our conversation with Bailey Elizabeth Rogers. Thank you so much for listening to this one. Again, I know it was a long one, but it is so important. And again, Bailey will stick with Justine and I for so long. And we've already had chats where we're going to have like maybe a monthly Zoom or, or something with Bailey. And I can't thank her enough again. I'll have all links in our description of anything that Bailey mentioned or she thinks that can help someone else on their own mental health journey that we discussed in this. Thanks so much again for listening to this and we will see you next Tuesday.